My name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, very thankful, always a privilege to be able to stand in front of you. I don't take it for granted to be able to open the word of God and speak what the Lord is saying to us, to our community, to where we are. And we don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. Very thankful to be able to do that. We're in a series that we're wrapping up today called Recalled. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about next week. Next week, we're starting a new series called Generations. And we're starting our building fund campaign called Generations because we as a church are passionate about not just us, but the next generation. And what God wants to do beyond our moment into a movement that God is building at City Life Church. And so we're going to show you the details, everything. We've got videos. We've got announcements. In fact, we're also doing this big rebrand. And uh, you might be new to our church. You're like, oh, here we go. This church, you know, wants us to sell stuff. Wants to sell stuff. We don't ever do this. But we are in the middle of a rebrand right now with our church, with logos, with everything, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered social responsible icons and stuff that we will be actually having to help with our generations campaign selling. You do not want to miss help us represent Christ-centered spirit power, social responsible disciples in our city. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, I want to get to our message today. This is the fifth and final part of our recalled series. If you're not familiar, maybe you're new or need a reminder because you've been to the rodeo and you didn't get a lot of sleep. We have been in this series called Recalled where we are looking at being recalled back to our purpose and our mission by the manufacturer. We looked at the first week how Tesla and uh, Kia and Hyundai had to recall 500,000 cars because they had foreign contaminants and in those they could possibly start a fire in the engine compartment. So we saved a lot of lives that week, which is great physically. Uh, I don't know if you saw recently Fitbit just had a recall. Anybody have a Fitbit? Anybody? No, we're not fit in this church. Okay. Um, it, it, the Bible does say that spiritual exercise is better than physical exercise. Um, so good job. Way to be here. Fitbit had a recall actually this last week. That was interesting. It says they had to recall more than 1 million smartwatches over a burn risk. The company, which is owned by Google, received at least 174 reports of the battery in its Ionic smartwatch overheating, leading to 118 reported injuries. Can you imagine you're on your walk, you're working out, and all of a sudden your arm falls off? I mean, this is what's happening in our world. What is going on? Well, the good news is the manufacturer issues a recall, and if you check your email, yes, there's a such thing as email, uh, you could check your email, and for free, you could take it back to the manufacturer and get it back to how it was made, maybe even updated if there's software updates. And we've been using that as an illustration to what we feel like the Lord is doing in this new season, in this new year, to recall us back to our purpose. I don't know if you know this, but everybody has a purpose. One of the worst things you can do is lose your purpose because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Many are depressed. Yes, it could be clinical. Yes, it's legit. But many are depressed because their heart's sick. Many are anxious and struggling because their heart's sick because they believe something to happen to offer something that it shouldn't or maybe it failed and they became heart sick. 
according to scripture, which I know I've been there. Maybe you've been there. We've all had those moments. And the manufacturer, which in our case is God, is calling us back, is recalling us to our ultimate purpose, to our real purpose, to our true purpose and what we are called to be. And that is ultimately for us as believers, we sum it up in two words, honor God and make disciples. Jesus himself said, go make disciples. If you're a believer, your job, one of your main purposes in life is to make disciples, is to honor God and out of honor him, out of making his word and his way the most weighty thing in your life, that's what it means to honor something, versus taking it lightly. Maybe you've been taken lightly before. Maybe it happened this week at work, and it's very frustrating. How many of us do that? Lightly take the word of God. Light, yeah, well, I'll do what you want later. And, and God says, no, no, no. See, when you honor me, I will empower you to do the things that I've called you to do. And one of them is the relational connection of making disciples, of imitating Jesus, being like him, and making people like him. We, we, we sum it up by saying honor God, make disciples is part of our goal, our call, our purpose, and what we've got to get recalled to. The way we say that in a larger way is this. Our church, City Life Houston, exists to honor God and make Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible disciples in our city. So what kind of disciples? These kind. Christ-centered, spirit-powered, socially responsible. We've been beating that into your heads. Hopefully, you're getting it everywhere, and there's movement to this and reason for this. Another way we say this, what is a disciple, is a disciple is someone who gives their whole life to be with Jesus. Now, let me pause there for a second. Being with him isn't just doing things for him. That can be exhausting if you don't start with being with him. Have you ever been in a room with someone and they're not all there? And this is about being a human being, not a human doing. This is about being in the presence. And there's people I don't want to be with all the time. And yet Jesus doesn't feel that way about you or you or you or me. He wants to be with us. But you become who you behold, who you're around, because more is caught than taught. And you know this in your life. The more you're around and you're just with Jesus, then subsequently, that's part of being Christ-centered. You will become like him. And his spirit wants to empower you now to behave like him and to do the things that he would do. That's what we mean by socially responsible. Another way to think about this is being a disciple of Jesus is moving from conscious, partial attention we've been saying, to constant conscious communion with God. His promise is that he will never leave you or forsake you. His promise is, yes, go therefore and make disciples, but he says, and lo, always I will be with you even to the ends of the age. He wants to be with you. We have to take the time to pause to be with him, to allow his spirit to empower us as we wait on him and then to go and behave as he would behave if he were us. We challenged you in this series, one thing, one way to do that, if you're in constant conscious communion with God, you're not only thinking about what he wants to do, 
and what you are called to do, but you start to, with this social responsibility, feel empowered to look beyond yourself. And we challenge you to pray for your neighbors, for people around you, to lift your head as long as you're just looking at your own needs and worried and anxious about them, you don't look around to see how God might wanna bless you in order to be a blessing. And part of that is this idea of bless every home. It's something that we pay for as our church that we've encouraged our church members to sign up for and they'll give you a list of people in your area, in your specific neighborhood that you can pray for and by name and say, God, will you move in their heart? And it's amazing when you kind of have that conscious reality of people, you start to talk to them different, think about them different, and people are getting prayed for. In fact, uh, I, I saw of those of you that signed up so far since January, we've prayed for 1,038 households so far. Watching God move, asking him to move in the lives of people, this is part of being spirit-empowered and socially responsible. Now, that is our mission statement, and that, that's what we've been recalled back to. But I want to also today, as we talk about the end E of the four E's, engage, establish, equip, and empower. What does it mean to empower? Before we go into that, I want to talk about a word called vision. Vision is a little bit different than mission. Mission is, is kind of the, the how-to, the maybe a mission statement. If you've ever had to make a personal mission statement, it's really, really important. It's really, really good because it keeps you focused as you easily drift off course, or at least I do. But I want to give you a vision, and, and, and a vision, a good definition for vision is this. A mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Maybe you have a vision. It might not be perfectly articulated like a mission or strategy would do, but the vision, the mental picture you have for your family, for your workplace, for your individual uh, department, for your job or your school that you're in, for the track that you're headed to in college or the track you're in in high school, wherever you are, to have a mental picture of what it looks like. And listen, not only that it could be that, because that's the goal, that's where we strive towards and make our plans to get there, but also that it should happen. That is a whole nother area. You ever felt that like, oh, I, I, I could have those abs, and so I'm gonna make my workout plan and I'm gonna do that. Um, but it didn't get fueled by I should have those abs. But there should be something in your life that there's a mental picture that has the could and there's a passionate conviction that not only could it be, but it got to be. It has to be. Maybe you, like me, when I married my wife and our family, all we've known growing up is divorce, split up, disagreements, problems. When me and my wife got married, we resolved, we are changing the family tree. And I have a vision, not only that it can happen, that we can have a vibrant, great marriage with kids that are healthy, with a loving mom and dad and live that out, but it should be. See, that is a mental picture of what that marriage should look like. For our church, we have a picture. 
that I want to share with you. Many of you guys know this, you've seen this, but I want to remind you and recall you back to that picture because it's going to help push us into what it means to be empowered. Now, before I get to the picture, I want to give you some pictures of what it's not. And when I say it, I mean the church. The church has a bad rap lately. And in some ways, it's deserved. In other ways, the church is just people. The church is not just an organization, it's an organism of people. The true church is us. So we should be able to critique it, but also we should have a passion and a vision to make it much more than what it is. And that involves all of us, not just people on stage. That's every one of us as we all play a part. Let me give you a picture of what, the, what church isn't. But I would say 99% of people think of it this way, a country club. You, you pay your dues, you come in, people serve you, they have the amenities you need in order to make yourself better or have your social context fulfilled. If the water doesn't fit right, you go to another club or you get mad and you leave. That is what most people consider church. So I joined this, and they're there to kind of make me the person I'm supposed to be, and if they don't do a good job, I'm out. See, that is, that is and there's nothing wrong with a country club, but please do not think the scripture would put a mental picture of a country club as a church. That's a man-made organization, and the church is a supernatural organization. And it's not just for you, although you get so much out of it. It's for us. And then for us to be a light and salt into the world. It is the most different but the longest standing organization slash organism ever existed. I don't know if Google will be here. I know it wasn't here 100 years ago, but the church was. I don't know if it'll be here 100 years from now or something else will. But the church will be. Because the manufacturer of the church is God himself. But the picture can't be a country club. Also, it can't be a better picture, but not the complete one I want to give in an airport where you come in and, and we kind of do our thing and send you on your itinerary out. Now, there's a truth there, and that's good. You should come in on Sundays or come into small groups, which we have, or come into men's, women's ministry, young adults' ministry, children's ministry, whatever. Come in, get your orders, you have your itinerary, and God wants to send you out to the culture. He wants to send you out to your workplace, to your family, with a vision of God in order to change it and watch things change. Absolutely. But that is still me-focused. That is still, today, I want to go to Hawaii, I'm going to go to the airport, and you serve me to go to Hawaii. It's only a partial truth or a mental picture of what church is. I want to give you the one that I use for our church, the kind of mental picture we want to be at City Life Church, and it's this picture. I grew up with X-Men, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, right, yelling and hurting people, okay? Okay. Uh, I grew up with this. This is the first Marvel for those of you that are young, um, and at least on, on movies. And I, I really like the idea of X-Men because you have these people that have giftings, that have powers, that feel different from the world and feel like there's some kind of calling, but don't know what to do. And they're not there just to clump up and come together. They come together in order to be dispersed. In fact, I would say it this way, and this is the mental picture for City Life Church. 
People are called and recruited to discover their identity, gifts, and role with the purpose of being sent out to preserve the world and use their gifts to change the world. Leadership then is primarily there to do what we're talking about, engage culture and community, establish biblical foundations, equip ministers to minister, and empower the members into the world on mission. So here's the idea. We recognize God is doing something in our midst. We have people with this gift and this gift and this leadership and all different opportunities living in all parts of the city everywhere. And we come together under the banner of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And he then endows us with spiritual gifts. But not for us just to go, look at me, I can prophesy. Look at me, I can preach. Look, I'm a really good singer. Just for us, but for us to take those gifts, to learn about them, to discover our identity together. But like the X-Men, I know it's cheesy, but get with me. They don't just rally around their differences like culture does in groups. But we take those differences in order to go out and use those giftings to change the world, ultimately to bring the kingdom of God outside the four walls. And we come back and we learn in community and we grow and we go back out. And so it's this mutual, it's an us. It's everybody plays a part. There is no Superman. And part of the problem in church today is the pastor is Superman. And we all go, I'll never be like that. So it's irrelevant. Or we all put them on a pedestal to a place of, I can never do that. I can never achieve. And many pastors are fine with that because they get to rule the masses as a celebrity pastor. We are anti that here, which is why we have a plurality of leaders, a plurality of diverse thinkers, all under the banner of the word of God who he says he is, Jesus as Lord, but our passion is an us mentality. What is God doing with us? How can he use you and you and you and you? And not just look at me, but look at me so I can train and raise you to do something similar in your lane, in your gifting, in order to impact the world. This is the picture and the vision that I want to get as we talk about what it means to be empowered. Now, for us, some ways we do this is we do two things. Empowering someone starts with engaging them. we got to get to know people. We then start to establish some foundations. You know, any house without a solid foundation, storms come. It's going to break it down. But then we equip them. Last week we talked about that, which is not only to, like, give you tools on how to do certain things and relate with people or, or how to live the gospel out in your life or community or work, But now also, with that, we want to position you in leadership and find people and then empower you and say, go. There's nothing worse. Maybe you felt this way if you've been under a boss that will not empower you. Have you ever been a a part of an organization where you don't feel any power to do anything? You're just a yes person. You're just a robot. Many of you are like crying under your mask right now. Like, I get it. And there's nothing worse. But God is not that way. He wants to empower you. To say, yeah, of course I can do it, but I want to do it through you. I want to go with you. And each one of us play our part. In our church, the way we've even done it recently is we started a 
pretty much in essence a Bible school called Leadership 215. So you can get trained in Bible, Old Testament, hermeneutics, apologetics, church history. You can learn a lot about scripture. You can go as high as you want to go. In fact, the organization we're part of has its own seminary that's accredited. So as high as you want to go, theologically, understanding, let's go. There is no caps. You can do it. We start with Leadership 215 and those that have signed up, gone through that. The cool thing is now the ones that just graduated are teaching. This is how we empower people. It's not like sit down, let us teach. You, 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 you learn, okay, now you teach. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything to do something. And that is a culture of empowerment. We also have noticed we have a lot of people in our church that are great teachers, but we don't always have a platform for all of our teachers. So we had to create a platform and we created a devotional called clcstarter.com that one of our deacons leads and he has people that teach. And every day you can sign up for this right into your inbox or check online. You can get a devotional of what God is speaking to City Life Church in Houston, relevant, what he is saying based on where we're going in our services. And it's a way to be able to use and empower the gifts of people because I'm not trying to build Chris Pate Ministries. I'm not trying to build G. Yoon Ministries. I might build Eric Stevens Ministries. But... <laughs> We are trying to be the church, and we want to see your giftings. There's no Superman here. The only one is Jesus, and he empowers us to do the impossible. We also have city life group leaders that we want to train up that have people into their home to go through Bible studies. Our DNA team upholds. We have a team called DNA that upholds dialogue, good news, and action in order to continue to uphold and push the value of diversity in our church. Our awesome children's church workers and youth workers that aren't here just to babysit your kids, but come with the idea of I'm going to help support and supplement the training of God godliness in your kids with the parents alongside because parents you can't do it alone but that's the passion that's the direction that's the empowerment that they feel our young adults ministry that meets and has lunch and has fun times together and does bible studies together this young adult ministry they're passionate about the purpose of God and doing it together and we've empowered people to do that not to mention all of our other areas this 4e strategy today I want to focus on this word empower, and then we're going to get in the scripture. We believe, this is how we would say empower, we believe in empowering people by giving them the opportunity to grow in their confidence in making and multiplying Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible disciples. I like, uh, Steve Merle is the president of Every Nation, which is the, the global organization we are a part of. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful spiritual family with churches in over 80 countries. We're, we're thankful and proud to be a part of them. He says this, what's the point of equipping if we don't empower? If there's no direction, encouragement, or mechanism for empowering those we equip, then discipleship is a dead-end street. For discipleship to be effective, we must make sure that engaging, establishing, and equipping comes full circle. We do that by, by empowering disciples to make disciples. Your purpose that you're recalled to is first God, the manufacturer, and then he sends you out not just for yourself, but to be a blessing. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. Turn it up. Check out the screen, however you do your Bible. Mark chapter 1. 
we're going to look at this man named John the Baptist, the John the Baptizer. And John the Baptist, we know, had a martyr's death and ended up getting beheaded, but had an amazing life where even Jesus says that he was, Jesus called him the greatest man to ever live over Moses. Unbelievable. And I want to get into the mentality and attitude of someone who did such great things. How was he empowered? What did he think about? What was his purpose? We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He has some kind of could and should vision in order to call a whole nation to repent, to change the way they think and act. Verse 6. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John knows that if he wants to live life to the fullest, the most purposeful kind of life, he must point to someone beyond himself. He knew his purpose was to be fulfilled and there was a confidence that he had, but he also knew it had to be done through God himself. This is a one-point sermon as we start to close down, and this is it. Empowered disciples of Jesus walk with both confidence and constraint. Now, what, what kind of confidence do we see? If you look at what John says about his purpose as he's recalled constantly to God, people actually asked him, what do you say about yourself in the scripture in John chapter 1? That's a good question to ask yourself. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? What are you alive for? What's your purpose? And people were asking him because of the bodacious, bold confidence he had in standing out there and watching people repent and come to see this fascinating person in the wilderness. Who do you say you are? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. His confidence in who he was and his purpose came from Scripture. He found his identity not in what his mom and dad said, not in just what he does, but in what God says about him. And what he found is that he's not all that. He's not the savior of the world, but he knew his lane and his lane was to bulldoze the path for God to come and do his work. And I believe for us being an empowered disciple, this is all of our calling. 
You are not the savior of Houston, Texas. You are not the savior of your family. You can't even save yourself, if we're really serious. But you do have a part to play. God is with you. And it's the same vision. I'm here to bulldoze the path to make the way to watch God come in and do something powerful. I have a part to play. I am with God. And there's a confidence and boldness that has to come. It's not that, woe is me, I'm no good. But it is a confidence that says, I know who I am and I know whose I am. When, when my kids were young and we first moved into our house in Pearland, we live out in Pearland, and uh, we used to have, my son's looking at me like, what is he about to say? We used to have a group of kids come over and play basketball all the time. Like our house became like the basketball house. And it got to the point where we'd have like these little ice, uh, ice plastic, those ice things you would give out. We'd give kids the ice thing. And we would sometimes give them like uh, Dr. Pepper or Coke. And, and all these kids are coming over and they're playing and they're having a good time. But it got so bad. It got so bad that literally... They, they would be asking for Addison. He was a little older, so we'd play basketball out there, but it got so bad, they would knock on the door, and I would be like, hey, what's going on? They'd be like, can I have a Coke? <laughs> True story. Can I have a Dr. Pepper? Can I, and I had to get to the point where, and I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. But I had to get to the point where I just shoved the door. No, but I had to get to the point where I was like, no, no. But the confidence of these kids was amazing. And, and the confidence of the kids at that time that played with me was amazing. Because I would play, come on, come on, Eric, you know, I'm playing with these kids and I'm like dunking on, of course, I mean, the, the goal's low. We lowered the goal because I'm like five, five, eight, maybe. And so I, I'm like dunking, like if you're on my team, you're winning because they're all little and I'm just going to push them. And then I feed them and give them a Dr. Pepper, right? But it's like, I want to be on his team. And there was a confidence of them. That when I'm backed up by this guy, I'm going to the hole. I'm confident because of him. But see, if you're not on my team, you can be confident all day and they like to talk trash. But you ain't going to win because I, I never let my kids win. The first time my kid beat me, he never beat me in basketball yet. The first time my kid beat me in video games, right? No, I quit. I could, we never played again hardly. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm that guy. I'm like, I'm done. This is stupid, right? Rage quitting, big time. Your pastor, yes. I'm not gonna let my son beat me. But there's a confidence that comes on you when you know who you're with and you know who's with you. And you should have that confidence. And what, the picture I wanna get you today is, I, I was watching, I've only seen one episode, but I saw the Kanye West documentary genius and was watching very interested in his life and I want you to have Kanye confidence here we go here's one of his main quotes I am God's vessel okay I like that but my greatest pain in life is that I'll never be able to see myself perform live true 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 quote true quote I want you to have Kanye confidence now, now, you might say, well, oh, man, that's like narcissistic. That's it. Okay, okay. Christians are really bad at subtraction, or really bad, really good at subtraction, bad at addition. And I want you to live more of an and life. 
Not a subtraction. Yeah, but, but be, be, be careful. If you're confident that God can do something, but, well, you, you sound kind of you're going to get into word of faith or you're going to get into these weird things. Yes, be careful. Be confident. But let's get and to that, not but. Let's add to our confidence constraint. Humility. Who did this well? John the Baptist. Look what it says. We read it earlier. And he preached, verse 7, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. I'm confident because I know who's behind me. I can go to the hole all day because I know who's behind me. If I miss, he's going to dunk it. I know who's with me. But I'm constrained and humble because I know who's with me. And I know me. I know my ability only comes through him. I'm fueled by him. And this is John, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. This whole Jesus is my boy. You can be a friend of God, but friend of God comes with following God, lordship. Let me tell you, I'm hardly worthy, he says, to serve him. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Listen, what, what you do in your work, what you do in your family, it is good. It's like water baptism. But what God can do when he comes with you is a glory. A Holy Spirit baptism in your life. Holy Spirit baptism in the vision that he's placed before you. Do not leave him behind. Do not think you're alone. Walk with confidence, but also have that humility that apart from him, man, I can't do it. I need you, God. I need you, God. As we close, there's one main problem I hear in believers when thinking about being empowered to go or to make disciples, and it's this idea of hesitation, of fear. And I, I think of Moses who did such an amazing action and thing for God and helping deliver the children of Israel. But before we know all of the great exploits that happened before, here's his conversation with God in Exodus. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, everything you're asking me to do, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past, I've never done that before, God. I can't do it. Or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue can't tell you how many Christians I've met that have sat in pews or chairs for 10 years but still don't know that they have the empowerment to make disciples, to go do more than just sit. As we say in our church, participation is greater than observation. Observe, have the moment, but man, God wants to use you. Are you one chapter ahead? Are you one moment ahead? Don't think you have to be here. God says, I want to use you now. And he's looking at Moses, and Moses has had a tough life to this point 80 years in the desert and Moses is going there's no way his confidence is so low it's gotten to a point of false humility because what he forgot as he's making excuses is who his God is and look what God's response this is his final excuse and God gets a little angry in verse 11 then the Lord said to him who has made man's mouth I like the sassiness of God here who makes him mute? 
or deaf or seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? He says, who's the manufacturer of the problem that you have? Me. You think I can't handle a little weakness? You think I can, can't handle some immaturity? You think I can't handle the fact that you don't know everything? I do. And look what he says. Now, therefore, go. Does that sound like what Jesus said to the disciples? Go, therefore. And what does he say? I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But see, you got to step out. You got to trust. And the trust isn't in my ability, but it's my God. If he can save me, he can use me. He can empower me. And Christian, let me talk to the Christian. You have the rightful heir of a son or daughter of God with the Holy Spirit imparted into you to help you pray, live, exhibit the fruit of God. What's your excuse? What's your hesitation to step out? Well, I'm not good enough, or I don't have this, I don't have enough money, or I'm just struggling with a lot of things with me personally. I get that, and there's a time to observe and rest, but typically God will take you out of that time to use you and take you where you didn't know you could go because you didn't have the energy, but he sure does, and you will see he gets the glory, not you. You'll never find the perfect time to say, man, I'm gonna go. There's always an excuse, and yet, when we look at God, we look at the manufacturer, we get to the final question here. Are you being recalled to be an empowered disciple of Jesus? Imagine the paths he wants to clear. Now, this isn't talking about salvation. You don't clear the way and make yourself better to get saved. Let me be very clear. Jesus did that work. All you do is ask. All you do is come, as we read earlier. But when he calls you now, he calls you to bulldoze a path, make a way for him to come. Some plant, some water, but God makes it grow. But you gotta step up. You got to believe. You've gotta trust that he wants to do something. Sometimes this is in preaching, sometimes it's been proclamation, sometimes it's in acts of service, but most of the time, it's just showing up. Nowadays, it's hard to put pants on for anything. But if you don't show up, you don't get a chance to watch God show up. And he wants to use you. And we've got to get that image of what could and what should the church, my life, look like with the Spirit of God pushing me? Will you bow your head? Father, I ask for those in here, Lord, that feel less than, that feel like I'm not good enough. Lord, I thank you that your word is true. We aren't good enough, but because of you. When we look at you, God, we see a God of more than enough. And it's not our power, it's not our might, it's your spirit. Lord, let us trust your spirit and what you're telling us to do. Lord, for everyone in here, if there's a 
vision, a mental picture, something that's on your mind that God's saying, I want you to make a way and I'm going to do something. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's in your education that as I submit that to the Lord, I'm going to pave the way, but it's going to be an opportunity for God to use me or use this circumstance in order to watch his spirit move as I'm a disciple making disciples. Lord, I pray you will empower us, fill us with your spirit to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.